0: If one were to determine what attribute the German people share with a beast, it would be the cunning and the predatory instinct of a hawk. But if one were to determine what attributes the Jews share with a beast, it would be that of the
1: rat. The, The Führer and Goebbels propaganda have said pretty much the same thing. But where our conclusions differ is I don't consider the comparison an insult. (laughs) <laughs> listen, living, listening to the Synchronon Sick and Ron, yes, you listen to the Synchronon The Sick and Wrong, the world source for anti-social commentary God, what a bunch of scumbags Good evening and welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for anti-social commentary I'm one of your hosts, E-Simon
2: Hi, I'm Kate Rombo Hiya
1: Okay Rambo, it's good to be back in the north of England.
2: Yes, we are here in the at the helm of like industry, the north of Britain. Well, not Britain, sorry, England.
1: Back in the north of England, right at the start of a fucking heat wave. What are the odds of that?
2: You've actually not been here during the summer yet, so this is your first kind of summer.
1: Well, I was here last year, May June. So I was here in June, but I was never here for July. I've never actually don't think I've ever been in England. When it's warmer than 60 degrees Fahrenheit, 15 degrees Celsius.
2: Holy hell, it's hot. Like, um, This is like when you read about people in London where it's 40 degrees. You're like, oh, look at us, Steve. We're just back in Britain and we're talking about the weather. I- I'm just it's saying it's, it's
1: very odd to be in England and wearing shorts for me because I've just never been here. Every time I've ever been here, it's usually kind of cold and rainy.
2: The difference is, is that in all the other countries like America, where it gets hot, and Australia, where it gets hello Australians, where it gets hot, they have air conditioning, and we don't in Britain. N- none of us have fans. None of us have air conditioning, and our houses are designed to trap heat because of the miserable weather. So people are going to die in yeah. these next couple of days. Well,
1: it will be interesting to see if it actually if the heat wave is going to come all the way up to uh, the tippy top of England. It won't. We are.
2: Yeah, we won't get it as bad as the rest, but it will be nice. We'll probably just have a great time up here, and they'll be suffering down south.
1: <laughs> well, last week we were on holiday on, uh, on the continent, yeah. and uh, it was kind of nice. It was, it was cool. The weather was great there.
2: Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Temperate.
1: Checked out Cologne, Germany. Then we went to Eindhoven, where I got tattooed uh, for two very painful days in a row. I'm, I'm actually sitting on a chair with like one ass cheek, because I, I had to get like the thigh and the lower part of my ass tattooed, and it's still very painful. Um, and after that, we went to Amsterdam, uh, where Kate experienced her first peep show. I did. She was hell-bent on getting a peep show, getting to check one out. Um, but if you want to hear more about that, we're going to graphic detail on a second show this week. Um, But on the main show, I wanted to talk a little bit about Cologne, Uh, Cologne, Germany, which I've never actually been. I've been to Germany before. I've been to Berlin, been to Munich, um, and yeah, and and like took a train through other other cities. But I'd never actually been to Cologne, which is a pretty cool German city.
2: Yeah, I'd never been either. It seems a bit. I don't know if I will ever go back to Cologne, though.
1: I think I've seen it enough of it i mean it's it's very touristy
2: i think if i was a 20 year old turkish man i would fucking love cologne but i'm not a 20 year old turkish man
1: yeah I, yeah i don't know i i like that beer they had their fru <laughs> <laughs> i butchered the pronunciation of that everywhere we went um I, and the cologne cathedral was uh, was impressive it's massive
2: Oh, yeah, huge, as we'd say. It was ha-
1: huge. I was reading that uh, the Cologne Cathedral is Germany's most visited landmark, attracting uh, an average of 20,000 people a day.
2: Are you working for the Germany? No, I'm just saying. It's right a
1: lot of, I mean, cause that's, that's what I'm saying Cologne's a very touristy city. It is, yeah. Because uh, we saw like there were a ton of tourists around, most people checking out this big fucking cathedral. Um, I would say my favorite part of the city though was uh checking out the NS Documentation Center um in Cologne which is the uh the headquarters uh for the uh, the Gestapo the yeah. Cologne the Cologne division of the Gestapo. Um you're looking and it it was impressive because you know when I was in Berlin I really thought the first time I was like, oh, there's going to be all this cool Nazi museums to go check out, like maybe Hitler's Bunker. And I just, in my mind, I just had this idea that we're, I was going to get to check out these really cool uh, uh, Nazi museums. There really aren't any.
2: Nein. This yeah. is all gone. Kind of erased that
1: uh, the that, 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 that period of their history. But I got to say, Cologne, I mean, it's a huge memorial.
2: It is huge. It's really interesting as well.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was fascinating. You know, it's it's one of the it is the largest regional memorial site um, for uh, Nazi Nazi uh, World War Two Nazi uh, history in Germany, and for the victims of the Nazis. Um, you know, it's interesting too. It's housed in the L D House, L D House, I guess E L D E House, um, which is named for the initials of its owners, a Catholic businessman named uh, Leopold Dammen. Uh, apparently the nazis were like yeah we're taking over this building
2: well they did, they they did that didn't they <laughs> yeah,
1: they, they you know one of the, one of their many uh techniques um great landlords those nazis I don't know if uh you realize that good tenants um they they took this uh this this building that was like his uh it was like his jewelry business and they made it into secret police uh, gestapo headquarters from uh december 1935 to march 1945 and uh yeah, you know, they uh that the, it housed Cologne's uh, version of the sacred police of Germany, the the Cologne division. Um and so the Gestapo is interesting. They they worked alongside the SS and the SD to protect the Nazi government, and they would use intelligence and espionage to find out people who were opposing the government, and then they would arrest and uh interrogate them over here at the uh at at the uh the the, the L D House. Um and in the final months of the war, uh, several hundred people, most of them foreign forced laborers, were murdered in the courtyard of the building. It, that that was, uh, you know, particularly he- a heavy moment when you're kind of sitting there. And I know it was kind of next to the courtyard.
2: Yeah, it's still big. And then eventually the, uh, the last um, Gestapo agents that were there, they were hung there too.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the bodies were piled up in the, the actual courtyard itself, so they had this kind of, like, you can stand in the middle of it, and it's sort of mirrored, so you're just kind of, the walls are kind of all lined with mirrors.
2: I put um. lipstick on. <laughs> <laughs> it was very handy.
1: <laughs> but you know it's kind of odd? Even though there are so many people murdered and tortured in that building, um, kind of ironic that, that the whole building was pretty much untouched by the ravages of war. yeah. Like No bombs really fell, fell on the, uh, the head of the Gestapo uh, um, headquarters there. So uh, the NS Documentation Center is, is a – it's kind of a museum of, uh, of the political, social, and community life in Cologne during the Nazi era. It was cool, too, because when we, get, we got in there, so there's like, I don't know, four floors? Was it four?
2: Yeah, it was big.
1: So there's four floors, um, and we didn't do the tour I don't know. You can get like a little tour with your... With Me
2: your... and you are so bad at museums because we're like, should we do the tour? And we're just always like, fuck it now. Nah, we might as well walk around the long, wrong way as well and we'll just guess about shit. Well,
1: what the fuck are we supposed to do? Walk around with a, with a phone up to our ear? Oh my,
2: I think it would have taken hours to do the tour that way. I'm not doing that. We just walked around and looked at all the pictures. Yeah, I looked
1: at all the pictures and They had pictures of all the uh, Gestapo leaders that actually worked... Um, and at this Cologne headquarters, we're going to be talking about a few in a second. Yeah. Um, and then they had, uh, you know, all the documentation on, like, all the Roma and the Sinti people and the Jews. Um, it, it was insane how thorough they were, how meticulous the Nazis were.
2: Yeah. Well, that's why they've been so well-remembered and preserved, because they left such a legacy behind. Is what Hitler wanted. He wanted to leave a legacy.
1: The, the other thing, um, a lot of uh, communists. And, uh, and people that were against uh, the, uh, the the Nazi regime were also uh, in prison there. So there's a lot of documentation on them. Um, but I think the highlight of going to check out the LD house is the Gestapo prison in the basement.
2: It, definitely.
1: Yeah, that, that was insane and, and intense. Like you, there are like 1,800 inscriptions and drawings done by prisoners who survived on the walls of the cells. Just yes. Yeah, I guess not Well, all, some of them. Some didn't, of them didn't survive. <laughs> but
2: there was some that they. They retraced through like pati- like particular people. I remember the Russian guy who was very poetic and he had left loads of inscriptions. And he was like, I don't know why I'm here. I just am. Here's a, here's a drawing of some wine.
1: I wish I could go back in time and just leave like Slayer carved into the wall.
2: Oh, please. You just draw a big old cock.
1: <laughs> just a cock and balls. <laughs> yeah. Like eat a dick, Nazis. But no, they had like some people. I mean, a lot of these Russian prisoners were like, you know, sending odes of love to their, their wives and children.
2: Yes, and I'll never see you again, yeah, this I'll is never it for me.
1: It was, it was rather dark um, and kind of depressing, but at the same time, like, I was blown away by, by the, the fact that it's still preserved.
2: Yeah, it was amazing.
1: Uh, the Gestapo prison memorial site is one of the best preserved prisons from the Nazi era. So uh, it's kind of a historical asset of, uh, of uh, national and European importance, Um. You, know, you could also walk through, you could, you could kind of look outside the cells because obviously they didn't want you to to touch the preserved inscriptions, but you could walk into some of the interrogation rooms and that's something the uh, Gestapo are, are uh, most notorious for. Uh, prisoners were held in uh, this facility for weeks without knowing why they were there. They are arrested and tortured for information uh, before being sent to uh, concentration camps. Um, a lot of the Russian and Ukrainian prisoners who are communists Um, and anyone who was opposed to the regime were uh, imprisoned there. Um, There was one story. That was another interesting thing about it. They had, like, stories of a lot of the uh, survivors and the different prisoners, and there was one family uh, who were opposed to the National Socialist Movement, and they were all arrested, the entire family, including their 25-year-old French maid, a woman by the name of Marinette, who was eight months pregnant at the time. And so the Gestapo took her to a hospital where she was allowed to... uh, give birth to a child but then they took the child gave the child away to nuns and sent her back to prison she never got to see the child again
2: i'm surprised they gave the child to nuns and not just to like a nazi family so that the child could be raised in a nazi family do you not think they would have done that considering how <laughs> much they hated religion too
1: yeah no it's it it is kind of odd yeah but yeah you know it's weird and so in uh i guess 1987 french newspaper uh, did a story on her, and her child was able to find out what, actually what happened to her mom and the origin of where uh, she came from. Wow. She just thought she was born in Cologne.
2: Well, she was technically well, born technically. in Cologne. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, the, the Gestapo had limitless power in Germany. Um, they could arrest anyone they wanted. They could question anybody that they wanted. Um, no person under, uh, under law during that time had civil rights. Um, so the Gestapo had free reign to do whatever they wanted to, to their victims, with impunity. And they were sadistic and brutal with their Verschafte Werner which is uh, German for their enhanced interrogation techniques. And we're going to get into in just one minute. Um, but first, I want to thank everybody uh, out there for uh, supporting us on the Patreon. You know, every um, every week we release a lot of different new content. You know, we do an entire second show. And uh not to mention overkill and killer cooking and all this other bonus material that we do. And it takes a lot of you know, it it takes a lot to do it. <laughs> I gotta yeah. say. Um, and it costs a lot, you know. I mean, we uh you know, we we have to pay for hosting fees and other expenses for the show. Um and the Patreon money helps us pay for that. So it's you know, we're we're doing this. Normally, we, you know, we had to pay out of pocket, and now we actually have a, a means of income to, su- to support the show. So we do appreciate you uh, helping us keep it sick and wrong every damn week.
2: And I was going to say, if, even if you can't afford to be on the Patreon, but you want to, like, do something nice for us, leave reviews.
1: Yeah, that's always helpful, too.
2: Yeah, totally helpful.
1: Yeah. Uh, anyway, here's a quick Patreon promo, and then let's chat about the... Uh, the Costampo's brutal interrogation methods.
0: Hi guys, Stuart here. I'm just calling in to get this off my chest. All you listeners out there, why are you not signing up for the Patreon? Seriously, these two fine people do the show next to having a regular job, and you don't feel the need to support them. So sign up to the Patreon today. You're not helping a Jew through college. Through his midlife crisis, and Kate is packing her shit to live in California. Both of these things are not cheap, they give so much and ask for so little. So, do it now and keep the show going. Dee and Kate, you're doing a great job. Love you guys. Stuart out.
2: So, Dee, I don't really need to tell you this, but the Gestapo, are one of the most recognizable enemy forces in history, they're often the feared enemy in movies, TV shows, and novels. They're the kind of stereotypical base for the most evil criminal organizations. They played a vital role in the Holocaust, but they're still kind of shrouded in an air of mystery, especially the man who would eventually uh, run it and his eventual disappearance and the gruesome torture methods that he laid down to get the answers. The Gestapo are actually often mislabeled, too, and it's a name used for the kind of catch-all of all the German governmental militia groups that were there at the time, such as the Kripo and the Order Police, Mm -hmm. but none of them were as brutal as the Gestapo. Right, I will butcher some German here, but, like, I don't care, I'm trying. (laughs) The Geheime Staatspolizei, whatever, was created by Hermann Göring. I won't butcher any of the names, though. (laughs) I know all the names, in 1933, he basically took all of the Prussian police forces and he made them into one single unit. But instead of just being like the Prussian state agency, the Gestapo became a national one and it was a sub-office of the sia Heizer police which is the security police. And this was very revolutionary in Germany at the time. It was usually the local police authorities who would govern the land uh, during the Weimar, uh, the Weimar Republic. And this now means that the Gestapo was above the law in many respects.
1: Well, that, that's the only way they really could push forth their laws and their anti-Semitic concepts is the Nazis needed a centralized police force, which they never had before. Um, that answered only to their leadership rather than local municipalities so, And they also needed a police force that had a considerable autonomy in the way they worked.
2: Yeah, that could be left alone to do yeah. their own shit. The, because the Gestapo is basically the love child of two governmental factions. So there's the Reich Security Office and the Nazi Party Intelligence Service, also known as the SD. So the RSHI, they played a huge part in the Nazi regime because the Einsatzgruppen, which were basically rolling murder units, and the Einsatzkommandos, which were then subunits of the rolling murder units, were all under the RSHA control. These are all staffed by many feared Gestapo agents. And the Gestapo united the, the zeal of the police, but with the like, ideological teachings of the
1: Nazis. And not to mention limitless power. So the Gestapo operated as a secret police organization, utilizing surveillance, coercive interrogation to the point of torture and murder many times. And the Gestapo, the, the thing to point out about them you know, as compared to the SS, is the Gestapo did not operate the death camps, but the Gestapo was generally instrumental in identifying and apprehended those who would be sent to the death camps.
2: Well, without the Gestapo, there wouldn't have been a Holocaust either, but we'll yeah, get I mean, into they that. they
1: architected it.
2: So the the Gestapo obviously enforced Nazi laws. Some of these laws like broadly defined criticism of the regime as a security threat, as we said before. So like this is an example, a December 1934 law made it illegal to criticize the Nazi party or the regime. So telling a joke about Hitler could be categorized as like a malicious attack against the state or the party. It could then result in a total arrest by the Gestapo, trial before a special court, and, you know, you're going to go to a concentration camp for just making your Jimmy Carr joke about Hitler.
1: Oh, there's some justice. But yeah, you're right. Opposition of the Gestapo um, were all those for whom they thought could endanger the Third Reich. So on the list were those who um, respected uh, German Emperor Wilhelm II, even though he hadn't been in power since, uh, what, 1918? Uh, but the Nazis watched on the, the monarchy, considered the monarchy as an opponent of National Socialism. Um, in addition to, to support the monarchy, uh, they persecuted Jews, Bolsheviks, Here Marxists, <laughs> and even anyone who would even deign to ridicule or disparage the Third Reich. Uh, furthermore, the Gestapo dealt with finding spies, betrayal, or sabotage of uh, German governance. So even the Germans were just in constant fear because there are rumors about the tortures and the people who disappeared after being taken to the Gestapo headquarters.
2: So the first commander of the Gestapo was uh, Rudolf Diles. He was very handsome, hard partying. He was one of the fen- fence-scarred boys. There's a what, fair few of them at the time.
1: What do you mean fence guard? Oh, from fencing. From, yeah, uh, fence-scarred. Oh, okay,
2: yeah. I don't know, a scar on a man, especially an evil man, just elevates them. It just makes makes him him look more
1: evil, that's for sure.
2: So he's a butt boy of Goring, and he was mostly hated by all the other Nazi, because, you know, it was such like a political party inside clique, wasn't it? And he was kind of hated. Himmler and uh, Hitler's actual real favorite, uh, and my favorite too, Reinhard Heydrich, hated Rudolf. Both of Hitler's but boys felt that Rudolf was too soft for the job. I mean, I get it. He's a pretty boy, right? And so he was ousted. He was replaced with Heydrich in April of 1934, during which time Himmler was becoming Hitler's right-hand man, although that might not have actually stayed that way had uh, Reinhard Heydrich uh, lived, because he got assassinated. Hmm. Narrowly avoiding execution, Rudolf married Goring's fat and very unattractive cousin, Hildi. It's just a fat name, isn't it, Hilde.
1: Hildy, Hildy.
2: Before being made, do you know what? There's somebody out there who's like, my mother was called Hilde
1: and she was probably fat. fat.
2: Yeah. And he was, and he became the admin president of Cologne, and that's where we recently visited the Gestapo HQ and prison that's been preserved there.
1: You, you know, it's interesting. Um, we go into this in second show too, but there's a special exhibit in the front of the LD house. It was this this uh, Hitler Youth. Um, like I don't know if he was like a like a sergeant in the Hitler youth or something, but his name was like Theodore Beckers, something like that. Yeah. Um, he just took thousands of photos. He was like an amateur photographer and he just took thousands of photos of the Hitler youth and Nazis at the time. But in one of his pictures it showed Goring showing up in Cologne in this like, you know, massive his with splendor. this entourage. Yeah. yeah. And just all the people, I mean, thousands of people with their arms, you know, outstretched in a Z-Kyle as he was getting out of his uh, Mercedes-Benz. Yeah, it was, it was it was, insane.
2: Another fun fact about Rudolf, he was also arrested by the Gestapo, but he survived the war, he gave evidence at Nuremberg, he, and he died in November in 1957 when his handgun accidentally discharged into his skull when he was hunting. The rumors that he was murdered, of course, are very much unconfirmed. But I reckon, Chinny reckon on that. He's been (laughs) murdered. Sure. The basic law of the Gestapo, which was passed in 1936, gave them the right to operate without judicial review. This is why they are so powerful and so ruthless. And like we said before, this is called Schutzhaft. They would make their prisoners sign a document stating that they wished (laughs) to be imprisoned, presumably out of fear of what the Gestapo could and would do to you.
1: Yeah. You wish to be in prison. Please. I mean, <laughs> Just put me in there. Throw away the, law, you know, the, 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 the key. I don't even care. Just, just keep me in there. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The Gestapo, and one of the reasons why they were so fearsome is because they had their own legal system that overcame the powers of ordinary courts of the Third Reich. And there were special laws that were passed to instill them with these powers. So in 1933, there was a, a decree called the Reichstag Fire Decree. Um, it was issued on February 28th, 1933, this decree suspended individual rights and legal protections, such as the right to privacy. Yeah. So this made it easier for the uh, Gestapo to investigate, interrogate, and arrest any political opponent or anyone who they deemed to be a political opponent. Um, police could now read private mail. They could secretly listen to telephone calls. Uh, they could search homes without warrants. Um, And a couple years later, in 1936, another law was passed which gave the Gestapo special powers not to seek the consent of the ordinary German court for its verdicts. So now the Gestapo, under its control, had the property, freedom, and lives of all Germans in their hands.
2: This is like Castle Grayskull.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, it just shows you, you know, how do you abuse authority? You just make laws for yourself. Exactly. Um, The Gestapo had the authority to investigate cases of treason— Espionage, sabotage, and criminal attacks on uh, the Nazi Party and the, the nation state of Germany, and so what we were talking about before the Basic Gestapo Law that was passed in 1936 gave the Gestapo like carte blanche to operate without any kind of judicial review. They are completely above the law. I mean, they're they're like you know the judges in, uh, uh you know in like um dread.
2: They are very much like that. Yeah,
1: they could do whatever they wanted. The Gestapo just kind of went around just like, yeah, execute. Yeah, we we deem you a criminal. Um, And they were exempted from responsibility to administrative courts, where citizens normally could sue the state to conform to laws, which is what you do in any kind of democracy. Uh, The SS officer, Werner Best, uh, one time head of legal affairs in the Gestapo, summed up this policy by saying, as long as the police carries out the will of the leadership, it's acting legally. You've been judged.
2: <laughs> I must say, none of the Nazis uh, are as attractive as Judge Death. He's my real boyfriend.
1: I'm surprised they didn't wear like something that, that would look more like a judge's outfit.
2: Oh, maybe a little wig and
1: yeah. a little dress. <laughs> no, like I'd like some kind of helmet and just a stopper, just to make them even scarier looking. I mean, they already with their trench coats; they're pretty scary.
2: They they know? had but, their fashion. Yeah, they definitely had it. So we have a new watchful eye of the new Gestapo leader, and this is Heinrich Müller. 6,639 people were arrested, and the number of those that disappeared without a trace is unconfirmed. But one of them who disappeared without a trace was the chief, the highest-ranking Nazi that ever got away, and that was Heinrich Müller. Born in Munich in 1900, he served during the First World War as a pilot. He won the Iron Cross for bravery. After the war, he joined the Bavarian police and he just rose through the ranks to become the head of the Munich Political Police Department. He's been described as a workaholic, self-opinionated and cold. He was utterly dedicated to his duties and he carried them out with military discipline. I just think he's a bit of a wanker.
1: Yeah, he seems like a dick.
2: But he wasn't actually a Nazi. He was a lifelong anti-communist and he devoted most of his seniority power to investigating communist marches in Munich. And interestingly, being a Nazi wasn't even on the job description form for the Nazi party. A lot of them were longtime policemen like uh, Mueller. Some came from the SD. And usually the ones that came from the SD were the ones pushing the Nazi agenda. With, and they had like no formal training. They weren't policemen. They were just like, fu- you know, so deep in Nazi te- in world.
1: Yeah. So- fully indoctrinated.
2: Completely. So Heydrich probably had a very good high-pitched giggle when uh, Mueller called Hitler an immigrant, unemployed house painter and an Austrian draft dodger. (laughs) But he didn't go to the camps for that. Heinrich admired his skills as a policeman and his unquestionable dedication to the state. So a Himmler biographer, Peter Padfield, wrote that Mueller was an archetypal middle-rank official of limited imagination, non-political, non-ideological. His only fantasism lay in the inner drive to perfection in his profession and in his duty to the state, which in his mind were one. He was a smallish man with piercing eyes and thin lips. He was an able organizer, utterly ruthless, a man who lived for his work.
1: He must have been a fun guy to hang out with.
2: I don't think he was. Yeah, I don't
1: think any of his uh, the, the, the fellow Nazis were like, you want to grab a beer? I think him sure. and Heydrich
2: definitely had a special relationship, but Heydrich was a very evil, um, manipulative man, and I think he just had Mueller in his pocket. That's what I think. So Mueller was so devoted to his Gestapo craft that he never once took a holiday. And other (laughs) prominent Nazis, uh, such as Auschwitz Commander Rudolf Hoss, said that he admired that um, that he could be reached day or night, on Sundays, and on public holidays.
1: (laughs) Kind of workaholic.
2: Yeah, God, get out of Hitler's ass, uh, Heinrich. So in 19... In, this is a funny story and I didn't actually know this. Like I knew about um Kristallnacht, the night of the broken glass, which happened in nineteen thirty eight and it's you know, they they ordered the arrest of thirty thousand Jews, citing that most extreme measures measures were to be taken against the Jewish people. The Jews captured on this night were sent to concentration camps and Jewish homes, hospitals, and schools were ransacked. 7,000 Jewish businesses were attacked. 257 synagogues were destroyed. But it wasn't actually meant to be like that. It was, wasn't meant to be as obvious because Heydrich and Mueller, they had planned to keep it low-key and arrest only the really rich and influential Jews and send them to the camps. But the, uh, the SD didn't quite read the memo. And a night of, like, unorganized chaos was released, unleashed on, like, the Jews of Berlin in November. But, you know, it worked for them. I don't think Heydrich and Mueller were, like, crying over
1: spilt Jews. Yeah, I'm sure the Gestapo had massive boners. Yeah. They are (laughs) arresting Jews and just smashing synagogues.
2: In 1939, he finally joined the Nazi party, mainly to further his career, and in September of that year, he was made chief of the Gestapo, earning the nickname Gustavo Müller to distinguish him from the other SS leader with the same name. That's foreshadowing. Now the full sh- force of the Gestapo. It's born. It's here.
1: So now, the Gestapo at this period used common police investigation met- methods. However, they did so without any legal boundaries. They had no limits. They pursued denunciations from the public they carried out arbitrary searches and they conducted brutal interrogations in the end gestapo agents held the fate of the people they arrested in their own hands completely up to them
2: so when we were doing i think when we were doing sex lives of the nazis that episode i was saying one of the reasons the nazis were like so successful is because they were ruthless so like you could dob your neighbor into the gestapo they weren't being the perfect German. And these acts were known as denunciations and they were often motivated by like ideology, politics or personal gain, or people just fucking hated their neighbors. The consequences for those people who were denounced could and would be severe. The Gestapo didn't watch over the whole state. There wasn't enough of them to do that. But the agents were very thorough and meticulous.
1: Well, that's the thing with these denunciations. Like you're saying with Kristallnacht, the original intention was to go after influential and and wealthy Jews. So a lot of people denounced these wealthy and influential Jews because they wanted what they had. Like they wanted their factory. They wanted their homes. Yeah. So they just ratted them out to the Gestapo. And I think that's who they initially targeted. But at this point, I mean, the anti-Semitism had spread, you know, um, so effectively that they're like, oh, let's just, let's just uh, ransack all their homes.
2: Why don't we just burn down Set all the synagogues? All yeah. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> um, during the course of an investigation, Gestapo officers interviewed witnesses. They searched homes and apartments and conducted surveillance. In Nazi Germany, there were like no limits to these activities. They need, need, they need any kind of warrants. You know, listen to someone's uh, telephone conversation. So people feared the Gestapo surveillance, but in reality... As you said before, they they had limited personnel, so you know they only use these methods in specific cases. There's no way they could do widespread surveillance of the entire German public. They just didn't even have enough people, and that's why denunciation was such an effective technique to control the popu- population because everyone was scared shitless that they're going to be finger bo- you know, pointed by someone else. Yes, so they're you know, and they thought that once someone identified them or you know denounced them to the Gestapo, then they're going to be surveilled, you know obsessively every single movement so the threat of being reported to the gestapo came from every section of the german populace so this provided the gestapo with this overall appearance of total domination you know and so the few records that survived the destruction of gestapo offices show that the gestapo received thousands of letters or other forms of communication reporting on the actions of individuals and while the level of denunciation fluctuated throughout the years of nazi domination it was a vital technique for the Gestapo until, like, all the way up to the end of the war.
2: I bet they had so many just like fachketteles, where it was somebody like, "I saw my neighbor decorating her tenenbaum, and she didn't, she didn't use the proper Nazi baubles.
1: <laughs> you must arrest her." You see, I bet you when it was against another German, they probably were like, "Eh, no, nah, I don't think we need to really care <laughs> about this." But if it was against a Jew,
2: yeah,
1: um, you know. They were, pro- they were the most affected by these uh, reports. Uh, denunciations against Jews increased dramatically after the Nuremberg Laws of 1935, which dehumanized um, any, any Jewish member of society. Uh, these laws were designed to prevent Jews from uh, remaining active individuals in German society, as well as to further to dehumanize them in the eyes of, uh, of, of, of Germans. So after these laws were enacted, the Gestapo began to collect information in order to create files on the relationship that Jews had with ordinary Germans. And the destruction of these relationships was vital to getting the population except, accept, you know, shipping them all off to a concentration camp to be exterminated.
2: So if your neighbor had dubbed you in, you're now under the investigation of the Gestapo in your area, they would enter your home without a warrant, day or night to find whatever they were looking for. They would often search every apartment in your building block looking for any evidence that they would need And if you were to be so unlucky that they would arrest you and interrogate you, torture is inevitable and death was sometimes a side effect of the torture. They were very modern in their interrogation techniques. They would use intimidation, psychological and eventually physical torture to find out, you know, the facts. They would overcrowd cells filled with prisoners and then they would lock some up in complete isolation.
1: I think that's what the Gestapo is most uh, infamous for is their ruthless ways of interrogating their prisoners. Um, it was common for officers to, to beat detainees in custody. Um, and They didn't often kill everyone they arrested, but some people did die during interrogations or even in Gestapo custody. Uh, their normal methods of investigation included various forms of blackmail, threats, and extortion to secure a confession. Uh, techniques such as sleep deprivation various forms of harassment were also used. Uh, if all else failed, torture, and planted evidence were common methods used to resolve cases, especially if the accused were Jewish. Uh, The phrase Verscharfte Wernichmung is German for enhanced interrogation. Other translations include intensified interrogation or sharpened (laughs) interrogation. And this this phrase, I think, was coined around uh, 1937. It describes a form of torture that would leave no marks. And hence, save the embarrassment pre-war Nazi officials were experiences as, as, you know, their wounded torture victims ended up in court. So, you know, they, they, they're like, who? Tortured who? I don't it know what you're not, talking about. It was
2: not me. You might want to ask other Gestapo guard.
1: Um, a journalist, Andrew Sullivan, who I'm going to talk about a little bit later, um, he wrote for The Atlantic. He actually found the original um, and translated uh, the original memo from Gestapo chief Mueller
2: he to, loved uh,
1: the officers. He
2: loved sending memos.
1: Yep, detailing approved methods of examination. So, the written instructions for the sharpened interrogations by the Gestapo, uh, as they were applied against, among others, um, uh, men who, uh, who uh, were, were considered enemies of the National Socialist regime, uh, these were instructions that came from the, the, the chief of security, police, and security service, Mueller. So he said, number one, the sharpened interrogation may only be applied if, on the strength of the preliminary interrogation, it has been ascertained that the prisoner can give information about important facts, uh, connections, or plans hostile to the state or the legal system. If they do not want to reveal their knowledge, then they can use sharpened interrogation. Sharpened interrogation may be applied only against communists, Marxists, members of the Bible researcher sect, which are Jehovah's Witnesses.
2: Oh, right. Yeah. Okay.
1: Saboteurs, terrorists, members of the resistance movement, parachute agents, asocial persons (which refers to homosexuals),
2: oh, okay,
1: um, and uh, I was going to say gypsies, yeah. Uh, Polish or Soviet persons who refuse to work or idlers, and definitely Jews were uh, (laughs) were in this area.
2: I'm in a few of those categories.
1: (laughs) Uh, The sharp interrogation may not be applied in order to induce confessions about a prisoner's own criminal acts. Nor may this means be applied toward persons who have been temporarily delivered by justice for the purpose of further investigation. Although there are many exceptions to, uh, to these rules. Uh, the sharpening can consist of the following, according to, and among other things, according to circumstances. So simplest rations, just bread and water. And they could limit the amount that they actually give to people. So some people would just get like a bowl of soup and that's it. Right, yeah. I mean, they wrote about that. that Some of the inscriptions were talking about how terrible the food was there.
2: Yeah, Oh, no food.
1: A hard bed, dark cell, deprivation of sleep, exhaustion exercises, um, blows with a stick. In the case of more than 20 blows, doctor must be present in the room.
2: A Nazi doctor. A
1: Nazi doctor. Give him
2: 20 more.
1: Yeah. Oftentimes, they suspended them in uncomfortable positions as well for hours. The
2: hanging trees. Yeah, Yeah. the
1: hanging uh, technique.
2: Interrogation of the political prisoners in the Gestapo prison, it could last from several hours to days to weeks and months. Long-term detention in the prison was the exception rather than the rule. For most prisoners, the Gestapo prison was just a way station on their journey through the prisons and to the concentration camps of the SS state.
1: But the Gestapo agents had the power to determine the prisoners' fate. So individual agents could choose to be lenient if they wanted, I don't know if they were being – I imagine some of them probably were able to have a palm greased.
2: Yes, you know, I and,
1: uh, and And get their freedom. They could let people go. They could dismiss a case or just issue a warning if they wanted to or a fine. Uh, but they could also choose to be ruthless if they wanted to. They could detain someone in prison indefinitely or condemn, some, condemn someone to a concentration camp. Jews, just as soon as they got picked, were just like right on the train. <laughs> they're, they're, I don't even think they had to decide anything. Um. The only monitor, monitoring of these decisions came from within the Gestapo itself. Mueller. Basically,
3: you know, He just yeah. pretty much
1: decided, sure, I don't really care. Uh, you can go beat that prisoner. He's Russian anyway. Uh, the war radicalized the role of the uh, Gestapo. So when the agents deployed to German-occupied territories, uh, they just were brutal and, uh, just, and, and, and beat people with impunity, uh, you know, uh, uh, anyone who they considered to be an enemy of the state. Um, eyewitnesses said that, uh, and, and survivors said interrogators pulled out fingernails. They crushed men's testicles in a garlic press to extract information.
2: Would you want the garlic press to have been used so then your balls also smell like garlic? Or would you just want, a, would you be like, I want a fresh press?
1: My question is after you crush the testicles, are you still using it to crush garlic?
2: also would like to know that
1: and would it be gay to eat the garlic and the sauce that was crushed
2: that the crushed man's- another man's genitals yes it is a little bit gay
1: it might be um in a dungeon a terrified naked prisoner would be handcuffed to an iron bar hung on chains from the ceiling a guard then shoved them off in a slow arc and at each turn another guard smashes buttocks with a crowbar while an officer barked questions at him
2: i've seen this porno <laughs>
1: Well, this is what happened in uh, in LD in those interrogation rooms. Oh yeah, um, a witness described how, uh, as the swinging went on and the wailing victim fainted, it was then revived only to faint again. The blows continued until only a mass of bleeding pulp remained. Uh, many perished from this ordeal. In the end, a sack of bones, inflayed flesh, and fat was swept along the concrete floor and dragged away. Uh, the swinging went on and. Uh, yeah, you know, the the wailing victims usually died, and and not to mention women were tortured. A young woman uh, I was reading here recalled being dragged to a cellar and stretched out across a the table. And then two men took it took it in turns to beat her bare backside with a stick until she could take no more. So a lot of people just were forced. You know, these were forced confessions. They were willing to say anything
2: to get out. Yeah, of course.
1: You know, okay. to make the interrogation stop. Uh, this woman's crime was she was a Jehovah's Witness. So she was a member of the Christian sect banned by the Nazis, uh, mainly because they refused to do military service or give the Heil, uh Salute.
2: Do you think she went around to somebody's house? Trying... I, bet
1: you, I bet you someone denounced her.
2: I think she went around knocking door to door oh, trying she's to get door people. Door knocking and <laughs> yeah. they're like,
1: oh, yeah, we want to get her. She's <laughs> annoying. She's the first one that's going to go. And then the Jews. Um, she said uh, she confessed that she had uh, worked illegally against the Hitler government. Uh, because I preferred to receive a death sentence than to be tortured to death. Uh, Jews, of course, were a principal target. It was the Gestapo that took on the task of rounding them up at gunpoint and delivering them to the railway stations for a one-way trip to uh, Auschwitz or another concentration camp.
2: Uh, so, Prince Albrechtstrasse, which was the prison located within the within the Gestapo HQ in Berlin, was infamous for the brutal torture methods used within its walls. The... Intensified interrogation, as torture was called in the Gestapo jargon, was not carried out in the prison cells, but in the offices on the floors above.
1: So, the Gestapo headquarters in Berlin, like, what is that now?
2: I looked to... Through... It's
1: huge. The building is massive. It's, it's like probably two times, three times the size of uh, the LD house. And
2: they were all there as well. They would all oh, be yeah. going to, like, do their stints. I know the street is still there, but I didn't, like, I should have Google, like, image searched it.
1: But yeah, I'm wondering if it's, like, if they just kind of like scratched off the swastikas and like, oh, it's an office building.
2: It's huge. Why yeah. get rid of it? It's five for bombing.
1: It's just a Volkswagen office, you know, Berlin office.
2: One of the people who is tortured in this prison was uh, George Elsa. He was part of the elaborate failed assassination attempt on Hitler and his uh, henchman in November of 39 in Munich. At 8.45 p.m. on the night of 8th of November, Elsa was apprehended by two border guards 25 meters from the Swiss border fence, like so fucking close, poor guy, and he found himself locked up in the Gestapo prison.
1: You know, that assassination attempt is a major egg on the face of the Gestapo. Totally. They're very embarrassed by that. And they had a few fuck-ups, but that was probably the worst one.
2: And they they were very close to killing them as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. His mother, his mother, his sister, his brother-in-law, they were also all arrested and then interrogated in full view of the plotter. In 1950, his former girlfriend, uh, Elsa Harlan, recollected that his face was so swollen and beaten black and blue. His eyes were bulging out of their sockets and I was horrified by his appearance. An officer placed himself behind Elsa and to make him talk, he kept striking him on the back or on the back of his head. In the beginning, he suffered five days of torture, using whatever methods the Gestapo agents had to hand, and he was locked up until February of 41. So this is a long time. Elsa was just a shell of his former self, because the Gestapo had tried to squeeze information out of him by feeding him very salty herring, and exposing him to to heat, and then depriving him of liquids... I don't mind the salty herring. <laughs> yeah, I was about
1: to say, what if he's a fan of salty herring?
2: That That's some next level torture. That's good. You have some rye Bay. Bread to go with this. <laughs> yeah. That's good Tanamo Bay stuff when they're like, we're going to jack up the heat and we're only going to make you listen to like one song <laughs> for two hours. In a subsequent discussion, Hitler issued an order to Heydrich. I would like to know what kind of man this Elsa is. We must be able to classify him somehow. Report back to me on this. And furthermore, Use all means to get this criminal to talk. Have him hypnotized. Give him drugs. Make use of everything of this nature our scientists have tried. I want to know who the instigators are. I want to know who is behind this. Hitler would have said all of that while shouting and banging on the
1: table. Let's try mackerel this time. (laughs) See if this is effective. (laughs)
2: So going back to the Gestapo, you know, the chief of this all Mueller, despite not being a big believer in the Nazi party, he was loyal like a dog to his Fuhrer, and he believed that the Nazi party would totally win the war. He helped cheer on a victory by redoubling his efforts at driving a wedge between the West and the Soviet allies. I don't think he had to really worry about that because (laughs) the Cold War is coming. And he sent in extra double agents. This is when it gets really interesting. The last location where Mueller was seen was the Fuhrerbunker one day after Hitler's suicide. From that, and yes, Hitler did kill himself. <laughs> From that moment on, it's unclear what was happen, what had happened to him. Several eyewitnesses placed him at Hitler's chancellery building that evening, while they were talking about his refusal to leave with the breakout group that night. We talked about Martin Bormann was there and he died shortly afterwards. Hans Baer, Hitler's pilot and an old friend of Mueller's, recounts Mueller as saying. We know the Russian methods exactly. I haven't the faintest intention of being taken prisoner by the Russians. It's not into it. Hmm. Another claimed that he refused to leave with the rest of Hitler's entourage, and he was overheard saying, that regime has fallen, and I fall also. He was last seen in the company of his radio specialist, Christian A. Scholz, and while the bodies of others that remained that night have been recovered and identified, No one in the final group has witnessed the death of Mueller or Schultz.
1: That is interesting.
2: There were rumors that he had gone into hiding in uh, Altersi in Austria using the alias Lieutenant Schmidt. And that subsequently he'd been imprisoned in various American detention camps. Probably he worked for an American secret service. He might have worked for the CIA. The Allies would find one Heinrich Muhlers in occupied Germany and Austria, but not the right one. Heinrich Muller is a very common German name at the time, probably not now. By the end of nineteen forty-five, American and British occupation forces had gathered information on numerous Heinrich Mullers, all of whom had different birth dates, physical characteristics, and job histories.
1: I wonder if did they have like uh, I don't know. Did you get extra points when you got like a leader? Oh, thing. when like you were a the... war
2: hunter, yeah. But I'm just hunter. saying,
1: like the the occupation forces, where they're like, "Hey, if you guys catch, like, you know Heinrich Mueller, you guys are gonna get like, you know, fifty cases of Heineken or something."
2: Oh man, if I was a lieutenant and I was sending my squad out to go and find these guys, I would do it like that.
1: Yeah, totally to motivate. Like I'm gonna them. take you guys straight to a brothel. If you catch Eichmann, you you can pick you can pick five girls, all for you. Yeah.
2: In 1947, British and American forces twice searched the home of his mistress, Anna Schmidt, for clues, but they found nothing suggesting that he was even still alive. With the onset of the Cold War and the shift of resources to the Soviet target, the assumption took hold in U.S. intelligence that Gestapo Mueller was dead.
1: Well, that's the interesting thing. It seemed like Mueller vanished into thin air, but a lot of Gestapo officers just vanished. So at the Nuremberg War Crime Trials, the Gestapo was branded a criminal organization responsible for crimes against humanity. But there was never like a collective Gestapo trial. They never held a Gestapo trial. Because they couldn't get them. Well, some individuals were brought to trial, trial since we met Dr. Werner Best, who we mentioned before. He was the head of the Gestapo administration. Uh, he argued that he and his staff were just hardworking policemen, simply following orders. Uh, He was sentenced to death for war crimes. But this was later reduced to 12 years in jail on appeal. And he was eventually released in 1951. Only served, like, about four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, But this was the standard Gestapo defense. We're just obeying orders. Yeah, we rounded people up. But what happened to them after, you know, they got on those trains, that wasn't our fault.
2: Yeah, our job's done.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, in the post-war years... You know, there wasn't much documentary evidence to prove otherwise. I mean, the files disappeared or were destroyed. Most of the witnesses, even at LD, they said, like, hundreds of prisoners were killed, like, in the, what, like, four days before the, uh, the liberation?
2: Yeah, that's what they did.
1: Yeah, before the Allies took the city of Cologne, they just murdered, like, I don't know, 400 people.
2: Anyone who was left there, yeah.
1: Yeah, destroying the, destroying the evidence. I mean, nearly all the victims were dead, so no one could say anything about it. And most former Gestapo men... Um, were initially interned in the Allied detention camps, uh, serving sentences up to three years. But then after that, they were just released. And so now the the Cold War begins, you know. Now there's a Cold War. The Western powers are now facing a new enemy, Russia, you know. And so they want any information about European communists. And the Gestapo obviously have been investigating communists for, I don't know, years now. And they kept extensive files on, uh you know, uh, communist individuals and members of communist parties. And so now that material is considered quite valuable. So in return for providing information to the uh, CIA and other intelligence agencies, a lot of these Gestapo officers were, quote-unquote, assisted in traveling to South America and beginning a life with a new identity.
2: Don't worry, is there. Yeah. You can hang out with him, with your bros.
1: This is Mr. William Smith. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a, you think about it, this is something that Easily could have happened with Mueller.
2: Yes, you know, easily. American intelligence
1: officers operated what were known at the time as rat lines, a system of moving former Nazis to South America. And a famous example of a Nazi who escaped with American help was Klaus Barbie. The butcher. I don't think we've ever actually covered him on the show.
2: We definitely need to cover him. I've, his hotel is still there. I've the always, butcher of Lyon. Yeah, I've always yeah. wanted to go to his hotel.
1: He had been the Gestapo chief in Lyons, France. Um It's an interesting story. They did, Nazi hunters eventually, or actually France had him extradited. Nice. But years later, and he did die in a French prison, um, which is good. But that's, I mean, that's more justice than most of these guys got. And, you know, a lot of these Gestapo officers went through the so-called denazification legal process, and they had themselves declared exonerated. So they were blameless or forgiven for the horrible things that they had done. Um a lot of them got uh, got character references from people willing to describe them as humane, professional, and nonviolent people yeah you know it didn 't always work. Otto Durr, who uh, who is a high ranking Gestapo officer, he presented himself as a man of irreproachable conduct, charming and professional, as his character witnesses suggested i 'm sure it 's just his family members and friends. Or other people were scared of him. But then some of his victims came forward, including the, a Jehovah's Witness that he had beaten almost to death. Uh Durr was jailed for two and a half years.
2: Oh wow. <laughs> such justice.
1: But as time passed, I mean, life became even easier for these ex Gestapo men. Um, you know, now Europe was split between Western Soviet zones. So Berlin, for example, you had, you know, East Berlin and West Berlin. Um that a lot uh, uh, you know, after this, it was like the cooling The the desire to seek out Nazis in West Germany and punish them kind of lessened in significance compared to exposing communists. Um, Although I would say it was was pretty hard for ex-Gestapo on the other side of the Iron Curtain because Russians didn't like anyone who was a member of the former Nazi party.
2: Yeah, and plus you can't get things like Coca-Cola on that side.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in East Germany, anyone tainted by a Nazi party association was immediately removed from employment. So I think it was easier to get employment on the West, West German side, which is interesting because a lot of people say that uh, the Gestapo just became the Stasi. Yeah. You know, They're in East Germany, became the Stasi. Well, that, that's not how it really worked. Um, it wasn't staffed by former Gestapo officers because mo- anyone who was associated with the Nazis weren't going to be employed by the state. Um, and now the East Germans frequently published damning allegations of the, uh, of, on West Germany which was, they claim was tainted by Nazism. And they named and shamed 1,800 former leading Nazis, who, uh, um, and 297 of them were former Gestapo officers who had become senior police officials in the Western side of Germany.
2: Just like, if you've been a member of the Gestapo, just like, lay to rest your fucking police in Korea.
1: Yeah, just go get another job, dude. Just lay go and look at a, a supermarket.
2: Yeah, just stop it.
1: <laughs> um,. As the 1950s approached, an immunity law introduced a blanket amnesty for all Nazi crimes, for which the punishment would have been reduced to six months' imprisonment or less. It's nothing. Yeah. Another law was passed that gave those who had lost their jobs since the war, because they'd been Nazis, the right to apply for professional rehabilitation to get their jobs back. So Gestapo officers um, were supposed to be excluded, but if they could prove that they joined the police force before 1933— they could still apply for rehab. So like half of former Gestapo officers were then redeployed to civil civil service posts. And a lot of them, you know, a lot of them actually, that's the other thing with Gestapo, they weren't just thugs.
2: No, they were very intelligent a men. A lot of them
1: were, you know, university educated. Uh, they, many of them even had held law degrees. And so after the war was done, they just, you know, maybe served a year, maybe not even, maybe they just got complete amnesty. And they just resumed their careers as private practice lawyers, despite sending thousands of innocent people to their deaths, you know, immediately or to their deaths at a concentration camp. Um, even Gestapo officers who were not reemployed had little difficulty in having their generous occupational pensions restored. Uh, Karl Loeffler, who was once head of the Jewish desk at the Cologne Gestapo, managed to get his status change to exonerated. His Nazi past, organizing deportation to death camps, disappeared. And he was granted a full pension.
2: What a dick.
1: Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? And so uh, oftentimes, you know, even when a former Gestapo officer is brought to court, they're usually just given an easy ride and just allowed to uh, reenter society. So... I don't know. You know, they. I've, I've read about some account of uh, Waldemar er, er, Eisfeld and Heinrich Lorenz, who had uh, rounded up thousands of Jews for deportation. Witnesses testified, but the judge just acquitted the pair of all charges on the highly unlikely grounds that they didn't even know what the fate of the Jews would be. Oh, they all who knew what would happen.
2: These guys are all sending each of us memos. They all know. They're all very proud of the camps.
1: They could be going to Wiener Schnitzel. How would I know? <laughs> you know. Um, age and supposed infirmity came to rescue a lot of others. Um, you know, uh, Otto Bovinspen, who was the head of the Berlin Gestapo went on trial in 1969, but he suffered a heart attack during the proceedings. Doctors declared him unfit to face trial and he lived on in apparent ease for another eight years <laughs> until he finally died. And, uh, the same happened to uh, good old Dr. Werner Best, uh, who since his Gestapo days had only had a short jail sentence. He became a highly paid legal advisor for a leading West German company. Uh, they finally brought him back to court, only to declare declared too ill, old, and frail to face a war crimes trial.
2: Oh, did um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so, most of these Gestapo people got off with a slap of the wrist or vanished to have a new life. So, I think it'd be very easy for Mueller to escape his past, even as the chief of the Gestapo.
2: There are theories. So, on October the thirty-first, twenty thirteen, the German paper Bild reported it had information at its disposal to the effect that Mueller had died in the final phases of the war, and he's now buried in a mass grave in the Jewish cemetery in Berlin Mitte. The paper quotes uh, Jonas Tuckel of of the Something Memorial Site of German Resistance. <laughs> His body was laid to rest in a mass grave on the Jewish cemetery in Berlin, Mitte in 1945. Oh,
1: that's ironic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he says he re- like he's combed through the archives, and the, obviously the grave can't be disturbed, because that's not allowed in Jewish cemeteries. So this came kind of has to remain uncertain. One thing is very certain, though, Mueller. He had a major influence on the terror of the Nazi police machinery and the organization of the Holocaust. I mean, he's the boss of Eichmann. Like, he helped the Gestapo generate the Holocaust. He's part of Hitler's henchmen, and he was never brought to trial for his crimes. Müller has more or less faded into the background in, like, the history books, something that he himself would probably actually admire.
1: Yeah, I think he'd be quite impressed. He would. No, it's 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 tragic that a lot of these guys faced any kind of, um, you know, ends for what they did. I don't any think he
2: died. I'm going to say that. I think he survived and just changed names.
1: It it sounds like all you need to do is get a new ID. No one would, uh, I mean, or, but he probably didn't even have to change his first name.
2: Well, it's such a common name. He probably yeah. didn't need to. But I just totally... changed his
1: surname and then just... Got a civil service job, maybe even kept his pension.
2: This man is such a like um, astringent character. He had a backup plan for sure. There's oh, no way sure. that he died. I think no when
1: uh, everyone was you know committing suicide in the bunker, he was just like, yeah, I don't think so. Uh,
2: not for that guy. <laughs> not for <laughs> nah. the house painter. It's okay.
1: <laughs> but you know, as horrific as the the brutal and sadistic tactics of the Gestapo were, you know, everyone's kind of horrified by this and like, how could this happen? Um. Well, <laughs> shortly after the terrorist attacks at, uh, uh, of uh, September 11, 2001, the U.S. Bush administration launched the term enhanced interrogation as part of the military intelligence action initiated against uh, Islamist terrorism uh, to designate certain robust <laughs> interrogation methods as completely legal. So, you know, if you think about it, you know, all these, uh, these, these prisoners in Guantanamo or in Abu Ghraib were victims of the same torture techniques that the Gestapo had, or they, at the, that it used. And, and they even, like, used the same term, maybe, enhanced interrogation.
2: Maybe this is where uh, Mueller went to
1: work. Yeah, maybe they just shipped him off to, like, yeah, to train, you know, as the CIA— and other members of, uh, of the government. And, uh, yeah, this is how we freeze prisoners to near death. We, uh, you, we beat them repeatedly, long for standing, waterboarding, stress positions, withholding of med- medicine, and leaving wounded or sick prisoners alone in cells for days, weeks, months. You know, th- doesn't this sound familiar?
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is what happened
1: in Gitmo. You know, this is what happened in Abu Ghraib. You know? And it, what's interesting about it is, like, you look at someone like Condoleezza Rice who uh, told the CIA that harsher interrogation tactics were completely acceptable. Then in 2009, she stated, oh, we never actually tortured anyone. And then there's Dick Cheney, who said, I signed off on it, so did others. And then in 2010, Cheney said, I was and remained a strong proponent of our enhanced interrogation program. Um, Journalist pressed him on his personal view of waterboarding, or actually pressed Carl Rove on his personal view of waterboarding, and Karl Rove uh, told the BBC in 2010, I'm proud that we kept the world safer than it was by the use of these techniques. They're appropriate. They're in conformity with our international requirements and within U.S. law. Well, you know who said that? Who said? The that? Nazis at the Nuremberg I was trials.
2: about to say the Gestapo said that.
1: The Gestapo said that. That, that was yeah. their defense for doing these techniques. You know, we're just following orders. You know, these people were enemies of the state.
2: Yeah, we have to do what we want so to we protect have to do our to protect state. the state. Yeah.
1: So, sounds familiar.
2: Time doesn't change.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a bitter reality where we live. Anyway, uh, people, if you ever are in Cologne, I highly recommend checking out the, uh, the documenta- NS Documentation Center there. I was blown away by it.
2: Yeah, it was brilliant.
1: Yeah. I've, I mean, I've, I've been to Germany a couple times. Never had I seen a memorial like that.
2: Yeah, I don't think I have, really. It
1: documented the, that actual period of history, like, so vividly.
2: And how the building was used, it yeah. was, yeah.
1: yeah. very impressive. Um, some of our sources that we uh, that we use for this intro here, really cool book, um, highly recommend, The Gestapo, The Myth and Reality of Hitler's Secret Police by Frank McDonough. Um, also, uh, check out Andrew Sullivan, Sullivan's articles about the Gestapo in the Atlantic. Um, I think he has, you could just search his website. It just, a number of uh, articles, basically comparing Gestapo torture techniques and interrogation methods to, the, to uh, the US's, um, you know, under the Bush administration. Same yeah. techniques. And finally, you, you uh, uh, went to the Traces of War website.
2: Yeah, that's a really good website. It just basically lists every Nazi, <laughs> every card-carrying Nazi, and you can just like, read through their bios. But it's really well-researched. I really liked it.
1: I think the, the best depiction of a Gestapo officer I've ever seen in a movie is probably Christoph Waltz. In Glorious Bastards. Bastard.
2: Everyone loves him. Yeah,
1: He was great He was great in that But I mean Just the, the fear That the people felt When he'd walk in the room
2: Of course Because yeah. that's what they did
1: That was good Anyway People this episode 852 Here sick and wrong We got some phone calls Coming up next You can call the Sick and wrong hotline At 323-522-4032 But first Here's a quick message From Adam and Eve Hey kids Do you like sex toys? Yeah! Then go to AdamandEve.com And make a purchase Using coupon code DIDDLE You'll get 50% off your first item, three free adult DVDs, free shipping, and a gift so sensual I can't even mention it on this podcast about murder and bukkake. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, AdamandEve.com, and making a purchase with coupon code Diddle. That's Diddle, D-I-D-D-L-E, like your uncle used to do to you. So we got a few phone calls to get to. Uh, 323-522-4032 is that number. Or if you want to email us, just uh, send us a call. Send us an MP3 to podcast at gmail.com. Anyway, the first call that we have here is from a very drunk man who is calling in to have some words with Kate Rambo.
2: Oh, no. <laughs>
0: Hello? Yeah, I think that pegging is now in the Oxford English Dictionary, pegging. There you go.
1: Is it? I guess I've never looked it up, but, I mean, it seems like a word in the uh, the, the lexicon.
2: Pegging exists.
1: Seems like it does, yeah.
0: So... I'm really happy that that word is in our lexicon now. There you go. So thank you, you. and um, thank you for Kate Rambo. I don't know. My God, Kate, are you coming? Are you becoming an American citizen?
1: At first, I thought you said, "Are you becoming a man?"
2: <laughs> well, I definitely <laughs> have bigger testicles than a lot of men I've known in my life. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to be a full citizen because I won't. I don't think I'll be able to vote.
1: No, I think you're going to be a permanent resident, right?
2: I will be a permanent. I'm like a, an a, um, an alien that a can legal live. Legal alien. I'm a legal alien.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm a legal alien.
2: Are you singing? Uh, Police in your head Because I don't don't like police But it was totally in my head (laughs) as well I
1: could could stop saying that Is that the song I'm a legal alien I'm
2: an alien in New York That's the police isn't it I'm an alien I'm a legal alien I'm a
1: legal alien I remember that Yeah But yeah I mean you're First of all We're trying to get a visa um, And get the visa approved And I think you get a three year And then what Do you apply for a ten year
2: Pretty much as soon as I get My first green card I have to apply for the next one
1: but when you get that three year, you're not going to be able to vote for Donald Trump in 2024. So hopefully you're not too upset.
2: Well, I want him to be. I want the orange one to be my president. <laughs> I think it'll be hilarious.
1: Anyway, that that that's a, that's that's the plan. There, drunk guy.
2: I like drunk guy. I want to hear more of his banter. Ring back, drunk guy.
1: Um, more.
2: Oh, cool. Well,
0: thank you, thank you for that, and. Um, I just wanted to ask a question a question um,
1: this guy is comically drunk, like Andy Cap.
2: I like when people get this drunk yeah like well, you...
1: yeah, no, you can kind of see like what's that symbol of the drunk people in comics? It's like a little asterisk or something when they speak.
2: You just know that this guy's eyes are half closed oh yeah
1: no he's he's, he's fully cut. <laughs> is that what that's is that what you say because you say half cut when you're just buzzed. I think right? if
2: he was saying something's fully cut, you're talking about a cock.
1: Oh, yeah, I yeah. don't know. He sounds American, so he probably is fully cut.
2: He could be. So, wait, if...
1: when you say you're half cut, you just buzz, right?
2: Yeah, half cut is like. So then,
1: what's, what if you're wasted?
2: You would never say, I'm f- oh my God, I'm fucking fully cut. <laughs> you would never say that. <laughs> half cut is a term, but fully cut is not a yeah, term. Yeah,
1: no British person's fully cut. Say... No British man is fully cut.
2: Do you know bladdered? That's a good one.
1: Bladdered. You think this guy's bladdered? Uh,
2: this guy's absolutely bladdered.
1: I'm hammered. Hammond is a good
0: one too. I like, like hammered, pissed yeah. as well. Loaded about my dog and my anus, and that my dog. I just uh, like I watch porn, and I know I know that you <laughs> watch porn, and so I just. Um,
2: I don't watch that type of part. Where
0: is he
1: going with this?
0: <laughs> his dog and his anus ass, is already I a bat. really, really, like, turns me on and I'm like, no, nobody else is going to lick my ass. So, um, that's just pretty cool. But my dog will do that. <laughs> so, love you guys. Uh, stay strong. <laughs> Keep it thick. Keep it wrong.
1: Well there you go Thank you A drunk guy Who likes to get his ass licked By his dog
2: I wonder what his dog called I, What type of dog Do you think he's got I think it's this a black guy? lab Called Benny
1: I was going to say Golden retrieval Retriever <laughs> Golden
2: Stan. golden retrieval
1: Golden retriever Named Stan Stan um, but, Stan's a good name You know I think this guy Was being churlish I think he's just trying To make a joke
2: mm-hmm.
1: However I wouldn't put it past him
2: you don't know drunk guy.
1: I know. I don't know drunk guy, but I, he seems so drunk that I think he <laughs> probably could have, like, you know, you know was sitting there in front of his computer about to wank. and actually drops his lotion on the ground, but he's so wasted he's on all fours trying to find it. And then his dog just comes over and just kind of licks his ass and, like, you know, just being a friendly dog. And next thing you know, it's part of his masturbation routine.
2: You, you just came off with that. Like that's happened to you.
1: I don't own a dog. I own a cat, and it's very painful when a cat licks your ass with well, yes, that tongue.
2: Their tongues are yeah. not, are not built for licking human skin.
1: I only know that from reading about it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, there, drunk guy. Um, I hope you didn't train your dog to do that.
2: Well, if they lick wherever you put peanut butter.
1: Yeah, but I wonder if like uh, yeah, I wonder if he's like using Nutella instead. um next call we have here is from uh your fake mom
2: oh lovely your
1: fake mom calling in about my uh my colonoscopy
3: oh nice hi d hi kate it's your fake mom here um It might be the last time I speak to you because I'm currently on day three of the dreaded COVID. I'm really, really gutted. I kind of thought I had some kind of cockroach protection about me, which is why I'd managed to go so long without having caught it.
1: Me. But obviously. It's like Kay Rambo. And you a bit. And me, yeah.
2: I mean, after Heathrow. I would advise anyone who's flying from Heathrow to get through security. To get, I had to wait over an hour to get through security. Scheipole
1: was insane. Scheipole
2: was way quicker than Heathrow. I was in security for over an hour. And I thought, well, if I don't get COVID here, where will I catch it next? And when we're in Cologne, tons of people.
1: LAX was packed with people too.
2: That minging German toilet that I was like, <laughs> if I don't get the COVID from this <laughs> toilet, where will I get the COVID? Amsterdam? All the oh, bros. Oh, yeah, walking through
1: Amsterdam, yeah. Just
2: all the bros. And now. That I'm,
1: peep show booth.
2: Now, and I've seen, like, long termers be struck down of it. Like, fake mum, she's a long termer. And she works in a hospital. Um, Siege, he's a long-termer, never had it, and he's just been struck down. All these people who were like my brothers-in-arms have been
1: taken. I couldn't believe we didn't catch it. after you made us sit in the front row for that live sex show. Oh yeah. Yeah, we're right up in the front row. And I was just like, yeah, I'm like, you know, COVID's the least of my worries here.
3: Yeah, we caught something else. (laughs) Honestly, I don't. Either that or the vaccines are wearing off or it's becoming so much more transmissible. And so I started to feel poorly on Monday when I was in work, just after lunch, when I'd sat in a room full of people without a mask on and ate for half an hour. Um, So my name will be Mud in my new job if I've infected the whole department. Um, And I've come home, I'm currently locked in my bedroom, my husband's sleeping downstairs on the sofa and he's looking after me, he's bringing me food and drink and put his t-shirt over his nose and holding his breath as he walks in the room which is all a bit daft really because up until monday he was sleeping in the same bed as yeah.
1: me uh, yeah well has he caught it already because maybe he's got the antibodies.
2: maybe who knows i mean it's when it's your time man it's your time you,
1: you know i never had to experience this because i live alone but um, I, I've heard from people I work with that, like, when a family member gets it, they just get quarantined.
2: I would, I would just think, fuck it. If like, it's like when you get a cold, your partner will either get it or they won't.
1: I say put them in the master, in the um, shed.
2: Oh, the one, yeah, the one you have.
1: Put them in the menstruation shed.
2: Drunk, uh, drunk man, that's where I'm moving to.
1: <laughs> the menstruation shed, yeah, that's for you. I, I put a nice chair in there.
2: Just one chair. Nice chair. It's it's like being in the Sims. Are you going to take away the door and make me start a fire?
1: No, you got a nice chair. You got your phone. I think you'll be fine for a couple of days.
2: Will you bring me food?
1: Sure. Blueberry I'll contacts. have it delivered.
3: Nice. And um, he he's probably got it already if he's got it anyway. Um, I'm just phoning to let you know that I think you might have been violated
1: <laughs> when you had your colonoscopy. I was. And uh, I didn't appreciate it.
3: That's the entire point of a colonoscopy, yeah, is to no, violate. I was, definitely
1: d- I was deeply violated.
3: <laughs> um, the scan that you think they should invent, they've already invented it. And they invented it years ago. It's a CT colon- colonography. Um, it's known as virtual, a virtual colonoscopy. Um and basically, instead of putting the giant elephant's peanuts tube up your arse and going through the whole of your body, they literally like put the tip of a straw into your rectum <laughs> and blow some gas and air in to inflate the colon, um, then get you to lie still and wish you through the CT machine.
1: Still being violated. A straw. Doesn't matter. They're still sticking something in my ass, whether it be a finger, a tongue, a straw, <laughs> or an elephant's trunk. <laughs> you know, I mean, so you're still going in there and having them shove something in your ass.
2: Yeah, but would you not rather have a straw than an elephant's trunk?
1: I mean, I'm on so many drugs; it probably doesn't matter at that point.
2: You know, they don't. Uh, some of my workmates were telling me that they don't knock the men's out for it here. What? You're awake.
1: Oh my god! Now, I got Bill Cosby.
2: Yeah, you yeah, literally it, did.
1: Yeah, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> woke, I woke up and I was just like, "Where am I?" It's fine. I was farting, but, but yeah, the, the, that's the thing. I mean, uh, they're still sticking something in your ass. My point was, why can't you just get a a cat scan? Well, they why, have. What?
2: They've invented it. She's saying.
1: Yeah, but why? Why do I have to have something in my ass? Is At there all? another way for them to do it without? anally violating me.
2: Well, I would like them to invent a way where they can fucking give women uh, smear tests.
1: Exactly. They should be able to do that too. Like, I think that's more You, you, you far should far. be able to piss and give them piss and they can tell.
2: Uh, yeah, that's that's got nothing to do with the womb, but Whatever. okay,
1: <laughs> Whatever. You should be able to like, you know, you could swab yourself and give it to them or something.
2: But, yeah, that's still violating. I would like it where they just scanned and they were like, that's a juicy pussy right there. On you go.
1: You'd think they would be able to give you some kind of, like, liquid to drink, and it would dye a different color, you know, if you had, like, uh, I don't know, whatever, lesions or whatever. What? Or polyps.
2: Where do you think the womb is?
1: No, I'm saying for the, I'm talking about the colon. Oh, If right. you had, like, polyps or lesions, it would, like, they would be dyed a different color.
2: And then they would scan you, and they would be like, oh, shit, there's, like, and He's got a lot red. of, like,
1: purple yeah. colors showing up. He's a
2: purple dude. Yeah.
1: You know or do something like that with pap smears i just don't understand why they need to violate you that's what i'm saying
3: doctors um it's comparably accurate <laughs> um and <laughs> In your case, it it would have done just as well as um, what you had done to you. But hey-ho, it probably wouldn't have been as enjoyable. Um, And obviously, (laughs) your consultant liked the look of you when he saw you and didn't want to offer you an alternative, which won't
1: Maybe that's why the Brits don't use sedatives, because you're just getting like a straw.
2: And a scan. But you know what, though? What's the wait time for this? Is what I want to know.
1: In Britain, probably a year.
2: Probably a year, and then we'll be like, we'll see you then. But if something comes up in that time, oh, well, the year starts again, baby.
1: Let's think with Americans, we go big. All right? We're not <laughs> going to use a straw. We're going to use ten. <laughs> ten straws.
2: <laughs> Your American anus We're can take American. it. <laughs> yeah
3: to sleep and give him complete control anyway <laughs> um i'm gonna go um but just for next time if you don't fancy your bottom being messed with in another 10 years ask for the virtual it is available and they should give you it lots of love to you both speak soon bye
1: well, geez, fake mom. I hope you uh, you feel better soon. But you know this call is like a week old or so. So she's yeah, probably recovered. I think she is, but that yeah. sucks
2: that she got struck down with the COVID.
1: Ah, oh, it's the worst.
2: So I've seen so many people getting it this time, and they're not just like, "Oh, I feel fine." Everyone's like, "I feel like fucking hot garbage."
1: You know, I think it varies. I've seen some people, you know felt like it was like a mild, a mild flu or something, like a, a mild cold. Whereas other people, even with you know, being vaccinated three times, knocked off their ass for four days.
2: Yeah, so who, you just don't know when it's going to strike you down. It's
1: I like, kind of feel like everybody's going to get it at, at this point, but who knows?
2: Well, I'm one of the last cockroaches left, and so are you.
1: You know, I'm hoping K Rambo, in 10 years' time, they invent this special machine that doesn't require anal violation.
2: I hope they invented a machine that gives more
1: anal violation. What? Two trunks? Like two elephant trunks?
2: Two elephant trumps, trunks oh up, a, up a man's ass. <laughs> you can't tell me that a man doesn't get to the what? age of 15 doesn't deserve a bit of violation. Most men do.
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm good for 10 years. I could shit in a box. I was talking to my brother about it. My brother's like, yeah, you must have decent insurance. I just have to shit in a box.
2: Like we were when we were trying to figure out how you're gonna do that, and you just—I was like, "Why don't you just shit into Tupperware?" And you hadn't even occurred to you to do that.
1: No, I thought you had to actually pull the poo out of the toilet. You
2: were gonna pull it out the water and then Just, and smear just get it a everywhere. sample. Just like shit in the Tupperware box. Shit in a box. I,
1: I don't know. I didn't know you had to shit in a box. But Next anyway, <laughs> thank you, um, uh, fake mom, for calling in. Uh, people can call the cigarette hotline three two three five two two four zero three two. Um, if you haven't already joined up for the Patreon, I don't know what you're doing. I know, I know, I can't understand your thought process. Um, you probably want to get several colonoscopies a year. Um, <laughs> you know, with that kind of thinking. But we do an entire second show on the Patreon. It's a whole show. It's a whole like ninety minute show.
2: A whole that we do. second show. A
1: second show. And this week you can hear the details, the graphic details about our holiday uh, to Cologne, Germany. Um, my trip to Eindhoven to get tattooed. Um, then we went to Amsterdam where Kate forced me to check out this peep show. Um, Kate was following all the pervs around the Red Light District.
2: I did enjoy the pervs.
1: Yeah, we were following them everywhere. Yeah. To try to see. You wanted to like, listen in to the techniques that they use.
2: I was intrigued just to, because I will say that all of the, the prostitutes just looked like they were from the north of England.
1: Yeah. I they, wanted there to were a know how much they were ones. charging. And I know. We never actually get to hear a price. We should ask. I was
2: desperate to hear a price.
1: We should have asked. Yeah. Um, you know what the other weird thing, too? That whole area is the alcohol-free zone.
2: It always has been alcohol-free, hasn't has it? Has it always been? I'm pretty sure because it stops all the fucking British bros who were there I fighting. I swear
1: you could drink in the street before. But this was also a long time ago.
2: Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. You're not supposed to put, smoke weed in the street, either, but people fucking do it, so...
1: Anyway, we talk about all that on the second show this week. Um, second show's a lot of fun. We usually get kind of drunk. Gets a bit personal at times. Wackily saucy. It
2: five brown stars.
1: Five brown stars from Wackily. And that's only $5 a month. And for a few dollars more, you can get Sick and Wrong Overkill. You can also get access to the Sick and Wrong archives. I uh, digitized the first 10 years, put them on SoundCloud Playlist. So it's really easy to listen to now. Very accessible. So um, if you sign up for the Patreon, you get access to all of that, not to mention a lot of content. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. Sign up today. Keep the show going. We do appreciate the support. Um, also, if you feel like getting some Sick and Wrong merch, you can go to the Tea Public store. I'm not sure if they have a sale going on. They, they probably do. do. Um, we have a lot of new designs up there. So go check it out. Sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. And finally, here at Song of the Week, I wanted to get something topical, something that involved the Gestapo. And uh, the first song I came across uh, was a band called The Blood, who were an, were an English London-based punk rock band formed in like 1982, early 80s. Love the names of the guys in the band, Cardinal Jesus Hate and J.J. Bedsore.
2: Both awesome names. Yeah.
1: Uh, they formed the early 80s under the name Coming Blood, but then just shortened it to The Blood. Uh, many of their songs criticize religion or discuss political or philosophical topics. So this song is called Gestapo Kazi, which is, uh, I think it's German for toilet. Maybe Kazi. it's not German for toilet, Kazi. But if you look it up, Kazi. Yeah, Yeah, maybe it's slang for toilet. Anyway, Gestapo-Kazi is the name of the song, and it's off their album, False Gestures for a Devious Public. People will be back next week with episode 853. Till then, take it sleezy.
0: the Eiffel Tower, bear grim witness to Nazi inhumanity. German bullets tearing their way through the bodies of helpless victims have cut these execution posts to shreds. In this disused rifle range, soundproofed to stifle screams, Gestapo men burned Parisians at the stake to extort information.